This is the Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Every game. You are going to go back to throw the ball. Sets up, look, throws toward the corner of the end zone. It is intercepted! Intercepted! The next the ball! Every story. If we just continue to push and grind and go and take care of our guys, it's going to be built to last. The Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck owner, Justin Hopkins. And Matt Bagley from 96.1, 580, the game. Scoop Duck and Hi-Fi, not much to break down this week, but we got together anyway because the weather's beautiful. College football season is still in schedule, and uh, there's a little bit of Ducks news to tell you about. Week till the draft, week till we find out where Justin Herbert goes, and a whole lot more. Matt Bagley and Justin Hopkins, my friend... I want to talk about college football, and and I feel like every week we've started off on this note, but just how do you feel about college football season getting played on time? You know, uh, obviously, whatever we say, you know, here kind of enters into, uh, you know, the COVID-19 debate and and where folks are at, you know, with that and what side of the fence they're on and and I just I continue to maintain. I know I know what's being put out there. I think everybody's kind of got a voice on it or an opinion. Um, and by everybody, I mean fans, and I and I mean other you know media uh, media outlets. I still think we're going to have a season. I I I I felt as though we won't even have any changes to the season. I mean, other than maybe allowing a little bit more practice lead-in time in the fall, um, things of that nature that will be for the benefit of the players. Uh, safety and their health but other than that um, I just I continue to believe there's too much money Uh, and it's not just about money but I believe a a major motivating factor is that there's just too much money riding uh, on college football on uh, you know these institutions that rely on that money uh, not just Oregon but USC Texas whoever uh, and the NFL obviously big money in the NFL Mm -hmm. I think we're getting a season. I think you feel the same way, and I'm not saying it to be selfish because I want a season. I really, really do. I just believe it's going to happen. Yeah. I I think it's a matter of when, not if, at this point. Um, I've I've read about that February to May proposal that got floated the other day. Uh, You're still against that, right? I I just think logistically – I just don't, I don't see any way. I mean, I, I do see a way I, I, I can understand it. I just think logistically you start, I mean, you start mapping out all these college football games and, and NFL games or whatever and saying, Hey, we're going to just change everything. You've got teams, fans, players, families, hotels, you know, locations that might've booked, you know, musical acts at that point in time, assuming there wouldn't be any football um, you know, because that happens, I just think logistically, there's no way that can happen. I think it would cost more money to do something like that than it would actually benefit some of those um, universities and, and uh, organizations. So uh, I appreciate people for coming up with ideas. I, I just don't <laughs> see that. <laughs> um, well, how do you feel about an expanded playoff? I know that got floated the other day. Yeah, I mean, I've always, I've always felt that way. I mean, I, I, I think, uh, 
you know, I, I, I just think that eight's the magic number to me, and everybody says, well, how can you do eight? Obviously, uh, you know, with the way it breaks down games and whatnot, but, uh, I mean, you can always add buys in there. There's lots of things you can do. I mean, the, where there's a will, there's a way. And in my opinion, I think the major hurdle for a long time hasn't been adding another game or extending the season or or figuring out ways to, to put eight teams in there. You know, the big big reason that we had the, uh, you know, adversity to adding the college football playoff in the beginning was, was money, was revenue, was, was, you know, the bowl, the bulls were afraid they'd lose money from, from sponsors and, and that revenue. And that's not the case. It's, it's really lifted some of those, you know, uh, bowl games. And I think, uh, you know, the ones that might get included if there was an 18 playoff uh, are probably now for it after seeing what's happened, uh, you know, the last couple of years under the football playoff. So, um, at the end of the day, I think most years there's always going to be one, two, or three teams that are that might be head and shoulders above everybody else. But if we can continue to add some parity in college football, um, I, I think it would be nice to kind of eliminate some of these conferences from not being represented in the college football playoff, whether they deserve to or not. But, you know, now you eliminate, oh, you know, we put in two SEC teams, so the uh, Pac-12 is screwed once again or whatnot. Now you have the ability to make sure that everybody can be represented with those extra spots. Yeah, yeah. It takes me back to the conversation all football season, you and I, where every week, you know, the question of what do the Ducks need to do to get in the playoff we didn't really have a good answer for because, well, <laughs> you know, we need Auburn to win or, well, we need Alabama to beat LSU or, well, we need LSU to lose to Georgia. And uh, y- you take care of that issue. The other thing I see if you expand to six or eight or more is you mentioned the fact that the worst fear never happened, right? The Bulls, like the Rose Bowl thought they would get showed up by this i remember growing up the cotton bowl really didn't matter and since the cotton bowl has been in that rotation for the playoff the cotton bowl is huge now yeah yeah i think much of what you're you know to what you're saying yeah it's elevated some of those bowl games and and probably enhanced their revenue um, and not to mention that, you know, those bowl games have now become great, um, at, at least in terms of viewership. Um, and, and again, you, cu- you start doing that year over year and it really, uh, you know, elevates things. And, and, and I, I think we can both agree on this. The Rose Bowl hasn't lost any of its luster. I no. mean, it, it remains one of the premier bowl games and settings in all of college football. And, and I think a lot more fans have been able to appreciate that setting because, Obviously, with the way that bowl is aligned, you don't often see an SEC school in there or even an ACC school in there. It's, you know, oftentimes Pac-12 or the Big Ten, um, you know, represented in there. And so I think it's it's elevated some of those folks that aren't very familiar with the uh, Rose Bowl, for example, and now kind of see it as a major, you know, it's a major game worth watching. Yeah, yeah. Hey, uh, talk about the Rose Bowl. You've got... Uh, this year's standout on offense, potentially going to be the uh, number five pick of the draft, Justin Herbert. And I also think about, to me, the last great Rose Bowl game that didn't feature Oregon was that USC-Penn State thriller a few years back. Um, yep. 
I'm fascinated by what the Trojans did this week, and I know you wrote some pretty cool stuff on the site about it. How do you feel about what Clay Helton is building right now? I mean, uh, you know, let's be realistic. You know, Clay Helton's going to once again be coaching for his job. I mean, that was that was exactly what happened last year. And whether he did a good enough job to justify staying or the new athletic director maybe wasn't ready to quite out him yet or there was too much monetary pressure, you know, from the other scandals and things that USC is going through, you know, I, I think Clay Helton found himself pretty fortunate to remain at USC. And I think Oregon fans felt that <laughs> felt the same way as did most of the Pac-12. But, um, you know, he went out, he needed to change his defense. His defense wasn't very good. Went out and got a, a great one in Todd Orlando. You know, obviously paid big money to pull Dante Williams down from Eugene, uh, you know, and, and really kind of enhance his recruiting and get back to, you know, having those strongholds in SoCal recruiting. I think there were a number of areas where USC was in trouble last year, and I think they identified those. Now, they were able to, you know, keep their offensive coordinator this year and, and will once again kind of go with that air raid attack. And while that's a lot of fun offensively, you know, there always seems to be limitations with those types of offenses and just how far and how deep you get. Now, will they be able to go through the Pac-12 South fairly easily? Probably. I mean, US, UCLA is not going to pose, you know, much of a threat. Arizona is not much of a threat. ASU... It might be, might not quite be there yet. So realistically, even as down as USC has been, there's no reason they shouldn't be owning the Pac-12 South, even with Clay Helton in charge. That said, I think he's done some good things. Um, about an hour before you and I started recording this, JT Daniels elected to put his name, uh, you know, quarterback down there, put his name in the in the transfer portal. So there's a little bit of news that way. Yeah. Um, but again, USC has the only the only negative I'll provide is USC hasn't recruited very well the last two years. At some point, that catches up with you. They haven't been very good on the offensive line. There's not a lot of uh, of talent even in the starting five, but there's very little depth behind them. I still continue to see that being a problem for them. Wide receiver, they remain loaded, but again, you got to be able to run the ball and control the line of, of scrimmage. So. Um, it, it really reminds me, and I say this, it really reminds me of the way Washington had been built under Chris Peterson. You know, pretty good offensively, played some good defense, good enough to run through the Pac-12. But when it comes to that physical style, that physical brand, and having overall depth on both sides of the line, that's where we saw Washington exposed by, you know, Notre Dame or Alabama or whomever, whomever was able to kind of roll through them. Um, and I think that's where Oregon's built a little bit differently. Uh, you mentioned the JT Daniel news, uh, J, D, uh, JT Daniels news that came over the wire last hour. Uh, Brett McMurphy reporting that you're probably going to write about this today on Scoop Duck if you haven't already. But it's safe to say the Ducks don't need him, right? Yeah, I mean, um, I actually, you know, went through and kind of popped this into a couple sources real quick, and it, you know, and initially just on the on the surface, it's like, yeah, you know, kind of, you know, Oregon had a, a a pretty decent idea that his name was going to be going into the portal at some point, and and always kind of kept that in the back of their minds, and that's, you know, maybe a little bit of reason why they were a little slower in the graduate transfer market, but obviously, ultimately, landed on Anthony Brown. The difference here is JT Daniels, first of all, is not a graduate transfer, so he's not immediately eligible. 
Secondly, he's going to have at least three years of eligibility left. So that changes how you view him adding him to your roster versus a guy like Anthony Brown or somebody as a graduate transfer. I don't think Oregon wanted to bring in somebody uh, that would have to sit this year because that really kind of just, you know, it's not the point. It's not what they needed. They needed immediate experience depth to pair with Tyler Shuck. Secondly, they didn't want to bring in somebody that would, A, you know, might give Tyler Shuck pause and consider looking elsewhere if, you know, if, if it's viewed as that big of a threat. I'm not saying JT Daniels does that. But secondly, you've got a really, really strong quarterback commit in Ty Thompson. You bring in somebody like JT Daniels that's got three years of eligibility. Now you might give Ty Thompson pause. So I think for Oregon, they're very happy with where things are at, with the way things worked out. You know, JT Daniels is certainly a talented quarterback. And, and would they like to have him in a perfect world? You know, I'm sure that would be the case. But um, I think all things considered, Oregon's in a really good spot, very happy with the graduate transfer they have now, and very happy with the 21 quarterback they have committed. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, talking Ducks, uh, have, have you, you liked what you've seen from Oregon this last week? Uh, you know, obviously, you know, not really anything to go over there. Uh you know, they're just kind of doing their thing and doing the virtual tours. I don't know if you saw it today, but there was a couple. Um, I know Rod Chance, the cornerback's coach, uh, shared a screenshot of having Ifo Ekpreolamu uh, sitting in with the cornerbacks meetings for today on their Zoom, on their virtual meetings, which is really cool. I like that. Also saw, uh, yeah, and Jim Mastro brought in LaMichael James and shared screenshots of that as well with LaMike sitting in there with the, uh, the running back group and, and kind of talking to them and, and those are the types of things maybe they don't get on there and talk X's and O's, but, you know, these guys start, hey, keep your mind right, make sure you're working hard. I've been through where you're at. You know, I've been I've maybe not been through a pandemic, but they understand what it takes to get from where they are now in their collegiate career to that next level. Um, you know, so you're going to get a lot of wisdom from, from somebody that you can relate to, and that's always valuable, having somebody relatable that you, that you admire, that you look up to. Um, so, no, that's great. I would imagine they do more you know, more of that moving forward as well. Um, you know, Mario Cristobal was on the Paul Feinbaum show. I, I'm, I'm going to be honest, I didn't listen to it because of <laughs> Paul Feinbaum. Hopefully it was a great interview. Um, you know, I trust Mario can handle Paul Feinbaum in any way he sees fit. But right. again, w- wasn't really anybody I wanted to spend listening to. Well, they, uh, they because, probably hit it off, you know, because you know how Feinbaum is with Bama guys. Oh yeah, no. I'm sure it was a. I'm sure it was a bro love fest. But as soon as uh, you know, as soon as Oregon loses a game this season, Feinbaum will have something smart ass to pop off about how you know we're not Bama of the West or right. whatever he's going to end up right. saying. So he, he doesn't watch you know, any the, games on the West Coast, stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. No. Exactly. So yeah, wasn't 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 worth. Now if he hopped on with Yogi Roth or something, I'm all ears. You know, I'm I'm down to listen to him chop it up with Yogi or some of those some of those great guys that we have that actually pay attention to the PAC 12 on a, on a daily and weekly basis. But uh, you know, honestly for me, the big, the kind of the big thing right now, I mean, that I've been tracking, you've been tracking, duck fans have been tracking is, is it's, it's really unique and it's really kind of fun. It's a a breath of fresh air, but you know, the WNBA draft is tomorrow. You and I are recording on Thursday. That's tomorrow. And you know, ESPN with some recent trades for the New York Liberty, you know, we're potentially looking at a Sabrina, uh, Ruthie Hebert reunion in New York with the Liberty. That's kind of fun to talk about. Um, and then you've got Satu Sabali in their latest mock draft going number two. So you'd have yeah. Sabrina going one and Satu going two with Ruthie going number nine. 
Um, so I've just been kind of looking. I'm looking forward to that tomorrow. I'm actually really excited. I don't know about you. Yeah. No, I, I'm a big New York Liberty fan now. And because, uh, I mean, it's obvious they have the number one overall pick. Sabrina's the number one overall player. She's going to be the, the starting point guard for the New York Liberty. The, uh, the, the question for me is how Ruthie projects at that next level. It's, it's real similar to the NBA in that when you have a big that isn't the tallest player, not the longest player, um, and, and doesn't have a long shooting range, sometimes you get played off the floor. And I, I think the, the concern teams might have is, is how her game will be able to stick at that level. But I love the idea. And, and I said it this way on Twitter, if the Liberty get Sabrina and Ruthie with that one in the nine pick like you were talking about, they got to change their name to the New York Ducks. Yeah, yeah, the, the, they'll become the Ducks of the East, just like UConn's been trying to do. But no, I, <laughs> I, I, I joke there. Uh, no, I, I think I agree with you. There are, there are legitimate concerns about Ruthie's overall size, but I mean, we've seen her play against much bigger players in, in college, and I understand that that's not the WNBA, but you know, she can hold her own. Yeah. I, I think there's real value in regards that, you know, for the Liberty, for example, for anybody, but for the Liberty, for example, here, to go ahead and bring these two in that have played together for four years and have the type of chemistry that you simply cannot coach. You cannot develop the kind of chemistry that Ruthie uh, and Sabrina have together. So I think there's an added value there when you're the Liberty and you say, hey, look, we're going to get Sabrina and maybe Ruthie isn't the dominant interior type of player that you would normally want. But given her value and the way she plays with Sabrina, you know, you kind of consider that an added bonus. I, I, I think in that particular case, it makes a ton more sense than, you know, somebody else just saying, hey, we're going to take Ruthie and see how she, you know, projects, uh, you know, in the coming years. So, you know, obviously, Satu, Sabali, you're going to take somebody like that, you know, a little bigger, can shoot the three, a very versatile player. She's going to carve out a really nice career. Uh, you know, for herself as well in the in the WNBA. But uh, I, I got to think if the Liberty do go through and draft Sabrina number one overall, and I joked about this, you know, when Michael Jordan's there for the taking, you draft draft him and not Sam Bowie. Yeah. You know, I don't think the Liberty will make the uh, the Blazer mistake there. And uh, you know, now now all of a sudden you got a bunch of Duck fans that are going to be Liberty fans overnight. Uh, and you got a bunch of Blazers fans who are Duck fans who are probably livid at that that comment. But it uh, it reminds me. You know, the best story about that Blazers pick of Sam Bowie over MJ is Bob Knight, uh, Indiana legend, uh, Texas Tech coach, and, you know, threw the chair, punched guys, strangled guys, whole deal. He was best friends with the GM of the Blazers. They they went way back from, from Coach Knight's days at Army back in the 60s. And uh, Bob Knight was like slamming the table, calling this guy on the phone, writing him letters, begging him, saying, hey, please, this guy just tore me open at North Carolina for four years. He's going to change basketball. He's, he's the next Dr. J. He's the next superstar. You got to take him. And they wouldn't listen. Jeez. That's well. He he probably should have done that for Kevin Durant too. Although I mean I, I you know 
I understand the Greg Oden pick at the time, but obviously hindsight, we, you know, we, I didn't get it at the time, but I mean, I'm not a Blazers GM, so hey, live and live and learn, I guess. I, I like that note to wrap the pod on. Like I said, we're going very light and tight and quick this week, but um, with the NFL draft coming up next Thursday, who's a player that in the moment when they got drafted, you had no idea that they were going to struggle at the next level? Ooh, no idea that they would struggle. Right. That's a man, like, that's a everybody everybody thought when the Blazers different sport, but same analogy, when the Blazers got Odin, everybody loved that pick. Right. No, yeah, every, everybody loved it. I didn't. I was one of the few and I stand by that one. I'm not always right, but that was one where I was like, Man, I'd why'd you take the guy with the you know, really tall, great player, why'd you take the guy with the leg that's like three or four inches <laughs> longer than the other one? Yeah. You know that's not gonna work out well when you're seven foot tall. No. But, uh, yeah, I can't th- – I'll flip it around. I can't think of anybody off name, you know, really that, that I had high expectations for. That, and it's not that I haven't been wrong because I have. But one that sticks out to me that I didn't think would succeed the way they have going into the NFL has been Russell Wilson. And I'm not like the go Russell Wilson, team Russell. I'm not a Seahawks fan. It, it's not my – but just given his stature and, and, the, and the fact that he's a little smaller – and undersized, but really the the career he's had and the way he's you know kind of brought the Seahawks along. Not to mention he's a great he seems like a great guy off the field. You know, very generous, always giving back, and and all that kind of stuff. But um, that's one guy I would probably say that uh, I did not expect to you know have the career that he's currently having, and and it, and has been you know enjoyable to see. I like that because I I think you could go back. They play the Ducks in the Rose Bowl. Ducks win. And a lot of people said, okay, he just went up against an elite defense, just went up against one of the best teams in the country, and now he's going to go to the NFL where those defenders are even better. And they they didn't think he could do it. Yeah. And I was in that bandwagon. I didn't think he could do it. But he's definitely, uh, I mean, he's definitely had a terrific career. Yeah. Yeah, see, I asked that question because I was I was just thinking about you mentioned LaMichael James earlier about how the Ducks uh, have him in talking to the running backs today, which is so cool. Um, I still can't believe LaMichael James is not like a five-time NFL MVP. I would have bet my life that guy would have broken rushing records. Yeah, I thought he would have been a little better than he is. Um, there's no doubt about that. Um, you know, I also thought Akili Smith and back in the day, and I'm not bagging on him, I thought he was a guy that projected a little better, you know, too, and obviously didn't quite have the, the career that anyone would hope for, or, or, you know, or that he would hope for, for sure. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just it's funny how different the, the college and the NFL game are. Just, you know, it, it, there's a number of things, and it just doesn't always project you know, how you think and, and just how different the, the game is. And then there's guys that get in the league and, you know, some of them coast and some of them keep, you know, putting the hammer down and you can tell they end up passing those guys by. And, you know, everybody talks about uh, the lonely work, you know, the lonely work is the stuff you're doing behind closed doors. If you're studying extra or working out extra or making sure that you're eating right versus the guy that, you know, might be cheating in a McDonald's meal or, or taking the day off. And, you know, that lonely work is, is kind of what separates the guys that, that make it from the guys that don't. And, uh, you know, I mean, yeah, they all have to be in the gym at certain times or whatever, and, and maybe you're not pushing yourself like you should be, but uh, that's the kind of stuff that gets you on the field faster and quicker and, and, uh, and 
able to get you by the guy that might be in front of you at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Call it the Igor Olshansky rule. I remember growing yeah. up, and my dad has always had a knack for spotting guys that might be late round bloomers. And he was telling me, "Hey, you know, I know we watch a lot of Oregon games, but this Olshansky guy can play." And you know, fast forward ten years, and he was still in the league making checks. Yeah, yeah, no, and there's definitely, uh, you know, something to be said for that because I'm sure he, Igor was one of those guys. You know, he definitely wasn't one of the most athletically gifted guys, but, um, you know, I'm sure he was a grinder and probably didn't, you know, miss his workouts and didn't miss, you know, team meetings and, and uh, you know, and position meetings and stuff like that. And all, all that stuff, you know, makes a huge difference. So, uh, yeah, Oshansky, that's a great, that's a great example for sure. Yeah. I thought I thought Matt Smith was another guy that left you know left Oregon, played linebacker for a couple of years. I thought he would have made it in the league. You know he he danced around a little bit, had a cup of had a cup of coffee in the league, but didn't didn't last. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's amazing, man. I mean that and the obvious one is is I think still to be determined. We'll see what he does in Vegas this year. But a lot of a lot of ducks that kind of catch me by surprise, both good and bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's definitely the case. You know, both good and bad. There's some that that uh, you know outplay uh, their college careers, or um, you know, just uh, and there's a ton, there's a ton of guys that have college careers that just don't translate to the end of. I thought I didn't think Kyler. Murray, I mean, Kyler Murray was okay this oh, last yeah. year. wasn't oh, yeah. terrific, but I, that was another guy. I thought no way this guy will, will make it. But I guess we'll see. I, I think the jury's still out on him, but. Um, I know some fan, some folks seem to think he's he's the next coming. But. I, I've said it this way: he can make all the throws, and he proved it this year. Killer uh-huh. numbers. Yep. the The only question for him is, and and I, I don't buy the whole he's too small to see his line crap. I think that's BS. The only question to me is when he gets hit. Let's say Bobby Wagner comes in free on a blitz when they're playing the Seahawks, or Nick Bosa. Uh, beats his defender and just comes in hard and whoops him. Is this guy going to hold up? Um, right. And with 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 undersized quarterbacks like that, you don't know till till it happens. You don't know till they take right. that hit. Yeah. No, you're exactly right. They've they've kind of got to go through a season or go through a camp or whatever before you can really know if if they're built. Um, you know, built to take that kind of punishment. Cause let's face it, the NFL is brutal, just yeah. absolutely brutal on the body. So, and I guess that's why everybody's pretty excited about Justin Herbert. You think about a guy that's six for six, 240 pounds, you know, you think, okay, he can take a couple hits and still get up and, you know, be able to play. So I, uh, I guess we'll find out next. Luckily we have a podcast to take before the NFL draft. Yeah, that's right. Least. That's right. Hey, the virtual, the virtual. So, so, Let's wrap on this note. You going to buy a Dolphins jersey when they pick him at five? You know, I, I I don't think that I can get behind the Dolphins. There's not much. Uh, not that's a little too far for me. Uh, but I will, and I'm not a big jersey guy to boot. But okay. I will say, I, I I as much as you know, maybe you and I and having QB eleven and Hitler Day on, and I know we've had podcasts that seem to cast a negative light on Justin Herbert and, and some of his, you know, shortcomings of, you know, what he needs to work on. I will fully and a hundred percent be rooting for him to succeed. And, you know, obviously have a tremendous NFL career. Uh, I want, I want nothing more than that just because he's been such a tremendous young man at Oregon. 
you know, coming from Eugene, making good on that, um, being a tremendous role model for, for young men to look up to. Um, definitely on the Justin Herbert train to, to see him succeed. Uh, if he will or not remains uh, obviously out there, but uh, I will definitely root for him uh, the whole way. No doubt. Okay, that's Scoop Duck and High Five. We are on ScoopDuck.com. We're on Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and more. Scoop Duck and High Five. Um, always appreciate everybody listening. Like Justin said, we'll be back next week getting you ready for the draft. And go Ducks. I can do this now.